All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. I hope everybody got a lot of coffee this morning. Everybody get a lot of coffee. That's kind of a trick. That's to keep everybody really focused while I'm preaching. Okay, so that's why we give free coffee if you ever wonder. No, that's not exactly why, but... um, This will be a really tough one to teach, so I want everybody to stay with me because it's a very critical message, Um, because the Bible was written to prepare us, and when the whole world is surprised, the Bible does not want us to be surprised. When the whole world is afraid or has fear or doubts or wonders what's going to happen, the Bible... Uh, doesn't want us to be that way. The Bible wants us to be prepared and ready and not surprised and uh, understanding the times that we live in and what's going on around us. And uh, so as we go into the Word today, I just want you to keep that in mind that uh, it's very important to follow from beginning to end because God has put the local church here for the purpose of preparing us. He gives these messages because we need to understand the Bible, understand the times. How, how many know there's no other resource uh, for prophecy? Prophecy is not the predicting of the future. Prophecy is the future. How many know when somebody predicts something, that's not necessarily the future? I can predict who's going to win the NFL games today, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen. But prophecy is different Because the Bible calls it the more sure word of prophecy, meaning there's nothing more sure than the word of prophecy. So when God says it, that's exactly what's going to happen in the world. And so if we know it, then we should never be surprised if we know the the word of God. How many agree with that? Hallelujah. All right. There's one person that agrees with me in here, so I feel really good. How many agree with that, that the prophecy is uh, sure? It's very sure. We can live our life on it. So let's turn, if you would, to um, Revelation chapter 6. The title of this message is The Tribulation Economy. Now don't get sleepy on me because I have to explain in this message what's called macroeconomics, which is um, economies of nations. And you have to understand this. And you say, how's it going to affect me? And you're going to find out very quickly how it's going to affect you. Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, When the Lamb, that's Jesus, opened the third seal, I heard the third, or I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. So picture it. Black horse in front of him, a vision that he's seeing, it's symbolic of something. It says, Its rider was holding a pair of scales. In his hand, then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you today, and uh, Lord, we just ask that your anointing would be upon this word, and Lord, that it would be. valuable, Lord. It would be like uh, more important than the meal we'll eat today, Lord. Lord, it'll be more important than the protein that we take in, Lord. It's uh, protein for our soul, Lord. It's to build us up strong in the faith and our confidence in you, Lord, and uh, do that today to your people, Lord. Let it be um, a source of strength for them today, this word, and uh, touch it, anoint it, and uh, bless it, Lord. In your name we pray, and everybody says... Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So first thing I want you to understand in the title, it says the tribulation. And so we need to understand what is the tribulation. The tribulation is a uh, period of time. It's a seven year period. And one thing you need to be aware of with the tribulation is it's the last seven years that we will have in this era. So everything in the world in this world will change after that last seven-year period. At the end of the seven-year period, Jesus Christ himself will not only meet us in the clouds, which he does at the beginning of the seven years, but at the end of the seven years, he actually comes to the earth 
and rules and reigns with us, with him. And he sets up his kingdom on this earth. It's called the millennial reign. So he will actually rule on earth for a thousand years. And Daniel says he'll be setting up thrones all over the earth. And Lord Jesus will rule and reign after that last seven year period. How many would be very excited for that? But before that can happen, the Bible pictures it as a woman who is in childbirth. And Jesus in the first part, this is part six of my series called The End. In part one and part two, I talked about the Olivet Discourse. And it's Jesus sitting on Mount Olivet and explaining to his disciples what's going to happen at the end. And as he explains what's going to happen at the end, he says some words that could really shake us. He says that a time is coming that will be worse than any other time the world has seen. In fact, he said all those times put together won't be as bad as what's being compressed in this seven-year period. And that seven-year period is called the tribulation. And one of the ways that um, we come up with this seven-year period is something called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And so if you want to study prophecy, you have to understand the 70 weeks of Daniel, and I'm going to read it to you. And uh, and again, these things are not always the easiest things to understand, so try, if you can, just to pay attention. These will be on podcasts. You can find them on Spotify under Wellspring Community Worship Center. You can go to Podbean, or I looked the other day on Google Podcasts, and there we are. We must be everywhere, huh? So I want you to go back and listen to these very carefully, very closely, and try to understand these themes of prophecy. So the 77s of Daniel was found in Daniel 9.20. It says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifices. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen to this. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one capitalized. So it says until the decree. Remember Daniel is in Babylon and he's a slave at this moment. God's giving him a vision because he's praying for Israel who's in bondage. Right? They've lost everything. And so he's telling Daniel that in, from the time the decree is given... To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until capitalized the anointed one, which means Jesus when he comes from that time until then. And Daniel records when that order was made by the Persian king to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. He says there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So that means from the time Daniel's getting the vision till the time the order comes out from the Persian king to rebuild Jerusalem, there will be seven sevens. That's 49 years. That was fulfilled to the day. And it's recorded in the Bible. Then it says from the time of the rebuilding of Jerusalem until the time Jesus comes, that will be uh, 42, or I'm sorry, 62 sevens. 62 plus seven equals 69 weeks, right? So 62 sevens, when you multiply that, that adds up to 434 years. And it adds up to 173,880 days. So think about this. This is the most incredible prophecy in the Bible. Daniel says from the time that the order is given to rebuild Jerusalem, there will be 62 sevens or 434 years. Or if you do it in days, you have to have 360 days a year on the Jewish calendar. That's 173,880 day prophecy. How many know that on Palm Sunday when Jesus entered in Jerusalem to offer himself as a sacrifice, that was the fulfillment of the anointed one coming? So imagine that, a prophecy 173,880 days in advance, and Jesus fulfills it to the day. 
He walks into Jerusalem and they reject him. And so it says, until the anointed one will be put to death and he will have nothing. So the anointed one will show up on that day and he will be put to death and he will have nothing. This is amazing prophecy. This is in the uh, 500s BC and Jesus comes almost 600 years later and fulfills this prophecy to the day. Isn't that amazing? And it says, the people of the ruler will come, they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. What did Jesus say in the Olivet Discourse when he was explaining prophecy to his disciples? He said, this temple will be destroyed. So in 70 AD, not too many years after Jesus, uh, the anointed one was put to death, the whole uh, temple and everything was destroyed by the Romans. Then it says, the people of the ruler will come destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations uh, have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven year period, for one of the sevens. And in the middle of the seven, he will be put, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering at the temple. He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and poured out on him. So this is the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And so the first seven of it is seven, seven-year periods, 49 years, till the temple is decreed to be rebuilt. Then there's another 62, which adds up to 69 weeks. And that's from the time that Jesus is cut off, right? From the time it's decreed to the time he's cut off, that's 62 weeks times seven years, and it's 360 days a year. And then now there's one seven-year period left. And in that 70-year period, it says it starts... When this person uh, has a peace agreement, it says he'll sign a seven-year treaty, and in the middle of it, he'll break it with Israel. So in order for this to be fulfilled, Israel has to be a nation. Israel ceased to be a nation in 70 AD, and now they are a nation. And so now we're waiting for that 70th week of Daniel, and that 70th week of Daniel is what Revelation calls the seven-year tribulation. And it's appointed for Israel. So what you need to know about this and why it's important to you and why would I would take time in the beginning of this message is, what is the tribulation? It's a seven-year period that was appointed to Daniel for his people. And it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time when God is going to pour his wrath on the world. The Jewish people will be here. The next question I have is, when does it happen? It happens whenever the Antichrist appears on the scene and he is the one that is moving forth and 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 this first seal is he will he will move forward with conquest. He will try to uh, bring conquest to the world is what the first uh, seal is. And so um, the last one is where will we be? And this is a very important question before I get into the message. Where will be we be during the tribulation period? The tribulation period. The Bible is very clear. Um, that there is going to be a rapture of the church. In fact, in uh, Revelation chapter 4, we see a door opened in heaven and we see a multitude that enter the throne room. And the Bible says before the seven seals are opened, before the seven-year tribulation commences, Jesus said, I'm going to take you to a place and where I am, there, there you will be with me and you will be with me forever. So wherever Jesus is, from that point forward, we will be with him. So the Bible says that... Um, That place that he is preparing for us is in heaven. In John chapter 14, he revealed that to his disciples. So that means that when I am absent from my body, guess where I'm at? I'm present with Christ. So if I were to die as a believer, I would open my eyes present with Christ in heaven because of that. But at the same time... There's going to come a rapture of the church. There's going to be a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed in a moment. And the Bible says those who are alive and remain will be taken in a moment with him. And those who are dead in Christ will also be reunited with him. And in a moment we will be changed. And the Bible says we will be with him in heaven. At the end of the seven year tribulation, it says all of the saints of heaven, the armies of heaven... All across heaven, they will come with him at the end of the tribulation. So where will we be if we're believers? We'll go to heaven before the tribulation and we'll be with him at the end of the tribulation. Okay, so understand that. But if we're not believers, 
If we don't trust fully in Christ, if we don't give our all to him and trust him, uh, then we're going to be here on the earth. And so that becomes very critical because if you're on the earth during the tribulation, the things that I'm speaking about today, you will have to endure. If you're a believer and you're with Christ, you won't be enduring the things in the tribulation. So the things that end up in that seven-year period, we won't endure if we're believers. But we will endure if we're not believers. Does everybody understand that? So that is a, if there's a good news that I've ever heard in my life, that is the good news. That's why Paul said, comfort yourself with this. He wasn't saying comfort yourself with the fact you're going to have to endure the worst time that's ever came upon the world. That's not what Paul was saying. He was saying, comfort yourself with the thought that you know the hour. You, you will be ready in the hour that nobody knows. You will be ready. You'll be waiting. You'll be that servant that has prepared, the one that has is full of the anointing oil. You'll be the one that Jesus talked about. When that hour comes, it won't be caught on us like a trap. He said, you will escape. Hallelujah. And Luke, he said, you will escape this hour that is coming. Hallelujah. Amen. So now let me go through this. The black horse is what we're looking at today. The black horse, if you look in Revelation, it starts off with two other horses before it. One is called the white horse and one is called the red horse. And so I'll read it to you. Revelation chapter 6 says, I watched the lamb open the first of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown. He rode out, listen to this, as a conqueror bent on conquest. So this is the beginning of the seven-year period. He has signed the agreement, and now here he comes, the Antichrist, as a conqueror bent on conquest. And if you're still here, unfortunately, you'll have to watch this happen. You'll be caught like a trap if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so this first, this this. Antichrist, this is the beast that rises out of the sea. This is the system of government that this beast will operate in. The Antichrist kingdom of the seven-year period. Remember, it only lasts a seven-year period, but its devastation upon the earth is beyond anything. And then it says, when the Lamb opened the second seal... Now remember, we're watching this in heaven. We're watching these seals be opened by the Lamb, and we're watching them fall upon the earth. Right? It says, then the lamb opened the second seal. I heard the second creature say, come. Then another horse came out, but this one was a fiery red one. The rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So can you see the Antichrist moves forward? We're now in this seven-year period, right? And then also something else is happening. People have so much hatred in the world that men are just killing one another. It's uh, the most violent. In fact, let me tell you this with with a fact. This is the most violent seven-year period in the history of the world. And I want you to think back if you study history, all of the violent times we've seen in history. But the Bible confirms this is the most violent period of time history has ever seen. Think about that. I don't want to be here in that. In fact, I don't want anybody to be here with that. I want to save as many as possible because the good news is we don't have to be. Hallelujah. So anyway, the Bible then goes into this third beast and something very unusual. In fact, you may not have thought about this, but why does this black horse and this man riding on it, isn't it a little unusual that a guy, I mean, the, the, the white horse, I kind of understand, you know, he's kind of war weapons with him, right? He has a bow, he has a crown, he's a conqueror bent on conquest. Can you see that? This is a war horse, right? Fiery red horse, don't see anything unusual with that. He's taking peace from the earth. But then the third one, the black horse, he has scales in his hand. And he's talking about measuring wheat for a day's wages and barley for a day's wages. You might find that unusual. The guy's riding on a horse with food scales. You find that unusual? I might be the only one. I don't know. 
Thank you, Luke. He's going to make sure everybody has a scripture this morning. <laughs> Your app, I know. But isn't it unusual that the rats are? I don't worry about it. It's fine. But he's riding on a horse with scales. Can you just see him riding around? He's like, what is wrong with him? Riding with scales on a horse. Now think about this. This is why it becomes very important. He's warning that people will have to work an entire day to have enough money to buy a loaf of bread. And remember, this is prophecy, which means it will happen. So what does that mean? Modern cost calculated. You have to figure the cost of bread in America because how many know it's not the same cost in other parts of the world? So when you compare modern costs, and people have calculated this. I've actually went to some sites where they've calculated this for me. Somewhere between 30 to $60 daily just for bread. That calculates into ten dollars to $20,000 annually for bread. $900 to $1,800 a month for bread. Think about it and you say, well, man, maybe I could do that. Well, maybe we could here, but think about what that would be for most of the world. Now, what happens when food runs out in the world? People want to kill each other. There's an anarchy like the world will never see. This is something we would call hyperinflation and famine. Okay, the Bible, the reason why this weird guy on a horse is carrying scales is he's trying to say that if you are one person, you'll work all day for a loaf of bread and you can buy the good stuff, which is wheat. But if you have a family, you have to buy the poor man's meal, which is barley. So you can buy more barley because it's cheaper and less wheat if you want the good stuff. And you're going to pay almost the entire fortune just to get a loaf of bread. Now, how many realistically, I'm being realistic here, How many want to live in that period of time? But the Bible clearly is saying it will happen, which means what? It will happen. Okay? And so everything we're looking at at the end, if I were a good pastor, I would tell you this stuff. You know, this is um, Brussels sprouts. This is is like a good mother that gives meals that will make you strong. You know, that good you know, protein and that good meal and not that sugar and not that, uh, you know, little Debbie and all that. I mean, we need to have stuff that's going to make us strong and understand the word. And so if the Bible says it's going to happen, we need to prepare ourselves for what are the events that can make this happen. And are we, in fact, I was looking at everything I've looked at in prophecy. We look to be in a very good position for these things to happen. And so today I'm going to try to explain the macroeconomics of how hyperinflation could get to this degree and see if it applies to our our age. And so uh, the federal government, let me start there. This is just us, but how many know the Antichrist kingdom is a global kingdom? So just talking about the United States is not enough. We have to talk macroeconomics, which is not just our government, the governments of the world. But let me start with our federal government. Our federal government continues to print money at a massive rate through what's called quantitative easing. Okay, quantitative easing. In fact, I put a definition down. Quantitative easing is... It's an irregular financial ideal that that infuses money through digital dollars into the banking system so that the economy will grow because borrowing, lending, spending will increase. Basically what people call printing money out of thin air. And so they're putting digital money into the banking system uh, in order to cause there to be more buying and lending and, and that type of thing. But here's the problem. Inflation... In fact, what we're looking at in the Bible here is something called superinflation, hyperinflation. Okay? Here's how, very simply, here's how inflation happens. Let's say that I am making a loaf of bread, okay, and I'm selling it to the community. If I have a loaf of bread and I'm selling it to the community, I want it to be the best possible bread that I can make. So I have the best machines. 
I had the best uh, vans that deliver it. I had the most vans. I had the most workers. I had the most everything. Everything is top of the line. What do you know about my bread? It's going to be the most expensive bread in the city because it's the very best. And if I don't charge a high enough rate for my bread, I'll go out of business. And so inflation means that because I have so much debt with my business, I have to somehow make up the difference by raising the price of what I sell it for. There could be another guy across town that his bread may taste the same. He may have a subpar machine. He may not have the best people delivering. He may have old delivery trucks. But his bread might be half the cost of my bread and taste the same because he doesn't have the debt. Or he may have inherited all the machines. He may have inherited all the bread trucks. Okay, he may have the cheapest labor in the city. And so his bread is really cheap. There's no inflation. But how many know whenever a government, now listen to me here, incurs debt, how many know there's going to be inflation? Somebody has to pay for all of the spending. So when we have programs that send billions of dollars to foreign countries, when we have programs that spend billions here, billions there, how many know every year now we operate in what's called a deficit? We are adding to our national debt, adding to our national debt, adding to our national debt. And at some point, you have to recoup that money. At some point, you have to pay for it. And the way the government does it is through taxes. And so when there are taxes, what do the corporations do with extra taxes and extra costs and extra regulations? They raise the prices. And so we have what's called inflation. So as the cost of everything goes up, we start having problems with everything is being inflated. So how many know it's uh, difficult when gas goes from $3 to $6? And there are things that are causing that. Supply, demand, regulations, you know, boneheaded bills, you know, just all kinds of things cost gas to double, right? And how many know we feel that? But that's just inflation. That's not superinflation. So here's where it's going to be really hard and bear with me here. Right now, economists around the world, quantitative easing, everybody knows it's a problem. Nobody knows what's going to happen. It's uncharted financial territory. But quantitative easing, just adding, in fact, normally the way, I'm going to give you two ways you can deal with inflation. And you say, well, man, why are we doing finances and economy on a Sunday morning? Because I want you to be aware. I want you to know what's happening. Most economists around the world believe that quantitative easing, meaning giving all this, printing all this money and putting it into the economy, it's an artificial way to fix a problem. And during the coronavirus with all these lockdowns, do you know what ended up happening? We incurred debts in every nation in the world. I mean, every nation in the world shut their economies down, which means we were pouring, uh, we were printing money to put in everybody's crumbling economies. And so what it did is it caused this financial bubble like the world has never seen. And church, can I tell you something? There's a lot of people, and I'm one of them, that believe that um, there are a lot of people in the world that would like to use that crisis to bring about the changes in the world economy that they want. And, it, and, 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 and can I tell you, it, it, it's exactly the way the Bible reads. And so we've got to be very aware in our generation these things could happen. So economists are saying that through this quantitative easing, they're saying that the economy of the United States is very risky. Um, in fact, they think that we our currency could be replaced as the world economic benchmark. That means that our economy, if it were to crash, they're trying to figure out what would the repercussions be if our economy crashed. Did you ever get the feeling that People are trying to crash our economy. Has anybody ever got that feeling? Have you ever looked and said, man, why are they making that decision? Why are they making this decision? And so I want to go through the scenario of what would happen um, if this thing were to crash. And there's two ways to look at this. One way to look at it is you can get so worked up 
about the potential of an economy crashing that you live in fear. Or you can be the type of person that just says, man, I don't want to hear it, and you can bury your head in the sand. And the Bible doesn't want us to do either of those. How many know that? The Bible wants us to understand the potential reality. In fact, do you know that there are contingency uh, plans that are in place with the government organizations with the collapse of our economy? There are articles being written in the Wall Street Journal. There are articles being written in, in newspapers around the country about the potential of the dollar no longer being the, the benchmark currency. And so, and then the Bible prophesies something called hyperinflation, which would be one of the results if it ever happened. And so I need to at least go through the scenarios and let you know what it looks like if this were to occur. So that way at least you understand. So when inflation begins to grow, there are two different solutions. And these are people that are much, um, much more uh, versed in macroeconomics than me. But here's the two solutions they say you can flight, fight inflation. Okay, the right way is to tighten your policy. When you tighten your policy, that means that you increase interest rates within the banking system. What are we finding right now the new policy is? They're beginning to raise interest rates, right? Raising interest rates is the way you correct the inflation. In fact, raising the interest rates and reversing the quantitative easing, which means pouring the, you know, basically printing money and pouring into the economy. When you reverse that policy and you raise interest rates, that corrects all of the bad debt and all the bad corporate decisions. That is how you correct an economy. But here's the problem. It slows the economy down and you have what's called deflation. deflation. And so you can go from a recession very quickly to a depression and then you can go into what's called a deflationary spiral if you stay on that track. So as you raise interest rates, which is what we're doing right now, they're going to be watching very carefully to see if we slow the economy too much. That means you'll go into a recession. And then as you go into a recession and you stay there, which how many know right now technically we're in a recession? If you stay there, you can enter into a depression, which is a deflationary spiral. Not inflation, the opposite. You've slowed the economy so much that you run the potential of going into a deflation. And so in 2008, how many know we were right on the verge of that? We had several financial institutions that failed, Lehman Brothers. Uh, We had a, a lot of predatory lending with real estate. And how many know the real estate bubble just burst? And that meant we went into a, almost a deflationary spiral. We were able to pull out of it in 2008. But you go down that road and you begin to look down uh, the barrel of a depression. And a depression is terrible. How many have heard about the Great Depression? And so this is when you have high unemployment. Uh, this is when it's, it takes in a tremendous toll on the public. It's a very difficult time to go through, and nobody likes depression. But here's the problem. The depression is the only way to cure all of the bad debt. It's how an economy cures bad debt is going through a depression, as bad as it is. But... If you look at the central bankers right now, if you look at the uh, international business community, they seem to be very set on going a certain direction. How many know that right now, um, if you read, in fact, I've spent so much time reading the books of the different central bankers and their plans for the world, and and a lot of them are very eager to have a crisis like this. In fact, because the general public hates depression so much, at some point, and I want you to really catch this, because it's going to play into what the Bible says. At some point, there is a second solution. The second solution 
to avoid a depression that's coming upon the world is the central banks. Lost my notes here. The central banks, at a rate that they never have done, they will take interest rates back to zero. They'll buy unlimited government bonds. They'll buy unlimited corporate bonds to keep the companies from failing. And they'll send a universal basic income to the entire world. And everybody says, wow, that sounds like a really, really good solution. Here's the risk. When they do that, this is what's called, this is going the opposite direction. If you raise interest rates, and I'm trying to make this simple, I told you it'd be hard. But if you go the deflationary path, it actually heals the economy. It cures all the bad debt. But the thing that got us in this problem was printing the money. And so now they'll go into hyper printing the money, which is what they want to do right now. And they'll begin to buy all the corporate bonds, all the corporate stocks. They'll begin to um, pour all of this money and it'll cause inflation to go into what's called hyperinflation. And so you say, well, what is hyperinflation? And so we have a history. In fact, the currencies of the world right now are what's called fiat currencies, meaning they're not backed by gold, they're not backed by silver, and when they're not backed by anything, they can become worthless. And so when we look at Germany, Germany after World War I and before World War II, Germany had a crisis very similar to the crisis that may possibly come upon the world. How many have ever heard of the Weimar Republic? The Weimar Republic had tremendous... Nobody's heard of the Weimar Republic. Okay, Germany, this is the republic that was in power before the Nazis took over Germany. So the Weimar Republic, they were in financial crisis. In fact, they had signed a treaty, and the treaty mean uh, basically forced them to pay repercussions from the war. And so they had debt like nobody... Uh, no other nation in the world, they had to pay repercussions. They had debt from World War I. And so what did the Germans do? The Germans began printing money to pay their bills. Now, let me tell you something that happened when they began to print that much money. And I know this is boring. But the German mark was fairly close to the dollar in value. By the time they were done in a two-year period... Uh, it took 200 billion marks to, to be the equivalent to $1. Can you imagine that? To wake up one day and the hyperinflation is so bad that your German... In fact, they were taking wheelbarrows of German marks just to buy a newspaper or a loaf of bread. Their, their, their currency was so devalued that it had no value whatsoever... And so how would you like to wake up one day and the hyperinflation be so high that your money can't buy anything? In fact, one dollar that you would normally go buy a loaf of bread now is going to be $60. That's what hyperinflation does. And I know this is hard to understand. It's hard for me to even understand and explain. I I, I was up till 3 a.m. trying to simplify it. But just understand, they will try, governments will try to raise interest rates to avoid a depression. But when depression is looming, they will probably cancel that whole idea as a nation and say, let's do what's easy, let's print money. And as they print large, large amounts of money to cover up the problem, it's going to cause a bigger problem. And that problem is called hyperinflation, where your dollar won't hardly buy anything. And you're, and just imagine if you wake up and your dollar doesn't, isn't valuable, then imagine how much you're going to have in your 401k. Imagine how much your dollar will buy. And so the Bible here, and this is why I say all this, the Bible is prophesying hyperinflation. It's saying that the entire world will go through hyperinflation. And the reason I say this is because they would like that system to occur. There are central bankers right now, and I'm just telling you, the bills that are coming forward in the United States through Joe Biden 
and the bills that are coming through the United Nations, uh, the community, the world community right now is setting us up for this type of hyperinflation. And you say, well, what is the goal? The goal is for each national currency to fail. And when each national currency fails, and, and I wish I had time this morning to read all the bills, and I know this is hard to digest, and I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it's not. When the national currencies fail, they want everybody on a digital currency. Okay, and this is the plans that are well written. I've read the books of the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the, uh, you know, the BlackRock executives of the world. They're all, how many know when the central bankers are all in on this type of a setup for the world, uh, they're very intent on it happening gradually. And so what they would like to do is have a digital currency and it would be a world currency. Everybody would trade this fiat currency and it would also have a credit score and they would be able to turn your money on, turn your money off based on your behaviors. How many know this? And you say, well, man, Chad, that sounds like science fiction. And I'm just telling you right now, I've always got my nose in a book. And my books aren't Christian writers that I'm getting this from. This is the world community right now. They want to have a digital currency. They want you to have a digital wallet. They want you to have a digital ID. They want you to have a digital credit score based on your behavior. So if you do what's good for the environment, you do what's good and, 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 and do the things that they ask you to do, okay, they will give you a high credit score. And if you don't, they'll give you a low credit score. And can I tell you, if you're not obedient and you don't do well, they can shut your money off. And you say, well, man, that would never happen. Chad, you're, you're lying. That would never happen. You might watch the Canadian truckers. How many of you know they were shutting their money off through the banks? You look at China right now, what are they doing? They give them a credit score and they shut their money off. If I've got a $20 bill in my pocket, how are you going to shut my money off? Okay, so I'm warning you. You say, well, man, I'm scared now, but here's the good news. We won't be here when the system's in place. Now, will it happen 100 years from now? Will it happen 500 years from now? Or will it happen in the next 10 years? If I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would say it probably happens in the next 10 years. So what does that tell you about the rapture of the church? If all of these things are in place, like I said, this is a gradual, I just explained to you today the gradual movement toward this. They want them to raise interest rates. They want the governments to try to correct the problem by raising interest rates. But they know that at some point the debt is going to be too much, which means the inflation will go too high. You'll go into recession, you'll pull out. You'll go into recession, you'll pull out. You'll go into recession, you'll pull out. Eventually you won't pull out. The debt will be too much and you'll go into a depression. The whole world will not want a depression And the whole world will cry out for a solution. And when the world cries out for a solution, guess who will step in with the solution? And the solution is we'll take it back to zero interest. We'll flood everything with this digital currency. You'll get a universal basic income. You'll say, oh boy, I'm getting a universal basic income. And you're going to look back at this sermon. You're going to say he knew exactly what he was talking about. I promise you. You'll look back on this sermon. Hopefully we'll be gone and you won't have to look back on the sermon, on this sermon. But, but this is as sure as I'm here. This is what the Bible prophesies. In fact, I want you to listen to this. This is the, um, scriptures with the mark of the beast. Why would I preach on this? All right. Revelation 13, 15. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, so the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people. Anybody know what all means in the Greek? We have a Greek scholar here. It means all. It means everybody. 
means nobody's excluded. All people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hands or the forehead, so that no one could buy or sell. What does no one mean? No one, all. No one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, the number is 666. Revelation 14.9 And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on his forehead or hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of his torment will go up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Does that leave any doubt what happens to the person that receives the mark? But remember, if you don't have it, you don't eat. If you don't have it, you don't get to buy or sell anything. How many think this is a pretty desperate time? Difficult time to survive. We're going to be hiding in the woods if we're in here during this period of time. We'll be trying to survive in the woods. You know, and if they, if we're caught, in fact, the Bible says your family members will turn you in in this period of time. They'll turn you in and, and the death will be beheading. It's very clear in Revelation how the beast will punish us. It says you'll be killed. Revelation 19. And the beast was captured... With his false prophet, who in in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So his end, he doesn't last very long. Okay, This is the end of a seven-year period. And what a great kingdom the Antichrist had. It didn't even last seven years. How many are thankful for that? I mean, he just made a mess of the world. Can I tell you that I think, I just read to you the gradual way we would go to a system like the Bible explains in Revelation with hyperinflation. But how many know there's a more direct path? In fact, there's a way to do it where it's not gradual. And that way to do it is the rapture of the church. Um, Remember I told you in 2008 we went into a um, recession and it's called the great recession. We almost went into a depression and we barely pulled back. And I told you that there are people in the world right now that are gradually trying to slowly take us into this new system, this digital currency marking system. Okay. But if the rapture of the church would occur, how many know that would be a housing crisis on steroids? How many people around the world would not be paying their mortgage? That alone would send us in a depression. How many people around the world would not be paying taxes? How many people around the world would not be producing food for the world food market? How many workers would not be able to harvest that food? How many know that there's a more direct path to what the Antichrist would like to do and that direct path is the rapture of the church? When the rapture of the church happens... In my opinion, you don't even need all this to happen. In my opinion, when the church is gone, that is a trigger that immediately sends us into an economic depression and the world is going to be crying out for solution. And that solution, the Antichrist is going to try to offer. When the Antichrist tries to implement his plan, he's going to see natural disasters upon the world like the world has never seen. How well do you think his kingdom is going to go? Okay, he already was thrown into a mess. Everybody's trying to kill each other. Wars are everywhere. Natural disasters are worse than they've ever been. Remember, he was, he ran on a policy of, I'm going to make the environment better. Now all of a sudden, asteroids are hitting the earth and the waters are polluted and, and all these things that we find happening in Revelation, all of this death toll. It's going to be a mess for seven years. His kingdom, the Bible in Daniel says, is fragile. It's never solid. It's never a good kingdom. It's not a good time to live on the earth. Nobody ever looks and says, what a great leader we have. Church, we don't want to be here, and that's why I'm preaching the good news. You don't have to be. You just have to live for Christ. You might wake up one day, and this is going to scare you, and it needs to scare you. You may wake up one day, 
And Jesus said in Luke 21, he said, you're going to, he, he said, I've made a way of escape. And so the trap will not come upon you like it will the rest of the world. You could wake up one day and miss the rapture and find yourself in this period of time. Church, I don't want that for anybody. All we have to do is put our trust in Jesus Christ. How hard is that? Lord, I give my life to you. Lord, I trust you. You are my Savior, not this world. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. And I know I probably went really long because we were doing communion this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to, I'm going to open up the altars and then we'll do communion, okay? Is that all right this morning? Hallelujah. Good, because I'm going to do it anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, uh, we have no words to explain what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, you proclaim to the world that you are the Savior of this world, that the only hope this world has, the only hope the governments of this world have, is you. There's nobody else who can save us. And Lord, today we put our trust in you and only you. You're the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the only way, Lord. We acknowledge that today, Lord, and I just pray for all these that are here today, that they would find the same faith in you that will sustain us to the end, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And with your eyes closed, I want you to keep them closed. I just want to ask you this morning, are you right with the Lord? And if you're not right with the Lord, I want to pray with you this morning. And you say, man, I don't know, Chad. I don't know if I can come up to the front in front of everybody. Well, that's that's Okay. Guess what? I'm going to be here after the service. And if you want to sit down and talk to me, get your life right with the Lord, say, hey, how can I trust in Jesus Christ like you? How can I know that when the Lord returns and raptures His church that I can be ready? I want to spend time with you. I want to lead you to the Lord. I want you to find the Lord like I found the Lord. I want you to know Him. Hallelujah. Can we do that this morning? you're not right with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's telling you to get right, I will pray with you after the service. You can call me anytime and I'll pray with you. But don't miss because one day we're going to wake up and the Bible says it's going to be like a thief in the night. Two reasons it's a thief in the night. Because judgment will come on the world and steal everything like a thief. And also at that moment we'll be removed from this earth. Hallelujah. I want to be ready. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never prayed this prayer, not only pray the prayer, but you need to talk to me too after you pray this prayer. Just say, Heavenly Father, say it with me, even if you've given your life to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. If you mean this prayer, God will do it. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I give my life to you today. I give you all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul. Forgive me of all my sins. I receive you as my Lord and Savior today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, I need to know it. If you meant it, if you meant it, I want to know it. You need to take the next step of obedience. And maybe you've been away from the Lord. Just know today is the day. We need to know we're right with the Lord because of what's coming upon this earth. We need to be ready. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Have we been served communion elements this morning? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I haven't been served. No, I haven't yet. My daughter gave me one. I'm sorry. 
All right, praise the Lord. All right. How many are thankful for communion? The Lord, uh, when he, uh, right before his crucifixion and resurrection, took communion with his disciples, and he said, I won't do this again until you're with me in heaven. How many know that? He said, this will be my last time until you're all with me in heaven. Isn't that awesome? He's talking about when we're going to, he's going to come back, take us with him in heaven, and he's going to do it with us. And it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. Let's do it together. We're going to say thanks. Don't take it yet. We've got to say thanks. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. How many are thankful for this? Man, this is what saves us from what's coming upon the world. Hallelujah. Let's pray. And let's just in your own words, don't let me do all the thanking. All right? In your own words, I want you to thank the Lord. And I also want to pray for the body of Christ. That's everybody in the world that trusts in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice, your body that was broken for us. Lord, we're so thankful to be in the faith, Lord God. We're so thankful that we can trust in you. We're so thankful that you overcame the world. We're so thankful that you're going to take your rightful place very, very soon and rule and reign on this earth. Lord, we're so thankful you are our Lord and Savior, Lord. Lord, today we take this in remembrance of you. And Lord, we're looking for the day when we take it with you, Lord, in heaven. Hallelujah. Take it this morning. Hallelujah. Lord. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How many here have ever made a mistake? How many here have ever sinned terribly? Hallelujah. I'm so thankful for the blood. How many know that was part of the plan? He knew that we would commit to serving Him as our Lord and Savior, but He also knew that we were sinful creatures. Hallelujah. And God poured out His blood to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Hallelujah. How many know that? It's all in this blood here. So today, let's uh, let's thank the Lord. Heavenly Father, right now, we uh, all together thank you, Lord. We thank you for what this means, Lord God. We thank you for the plan that cannot fail. We thank you for your blood, your grace that cleanses us, that was poured out for us. Lord, to purify us, Lord God, because now we are worthy. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Father, we have no fear of what's coming upon the world. We have no fear of anything, Lord God. Perfect love casts out all of our fears, Lord. Lord, we drink this in remembrance of you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Church, I'm impressed. We made it through the tribulation economy, and I did a terrible job, but we made it through. So let's just pray as we dismiss here. Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing upon your people, your grace, your mercy, Lord God, let it follow them everywhere they go. Father, pour your spirit upon their lives. Give them joy unspeakable, Lord God, and bless them as they go through their days. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen.